Hi, this is Brother Sam. I'm excited to continue this walk with you. Welcome to our next step, our next chapter in To Be a People. Today we're on chapter two, Be Known. One of the things I love about our way of life is that we can be real with each other. We can open up, we can share, we can talk about what's really going on in our lives. How does that work? Why, why is it that we can do that here, but in so many other parts of our life, we can't share that openly? Well, this chapter is going to try to lay out for us some of the ways that that can happen. Because honestly, everybody participates. It's about building trust, and it's about being open. And those go hand in hand. We have to be able to guard each other's secrets. And that's something that the Lord will bless us with as we go deeper. So this is going to be a great session, a great chapter. Looking forward to being with you. Ready? Let's go. Chapter 2. Be known. Are you a temple or a mall? Temples are simple. Malls sprawl. A mall is a complex web of floors, branches, courts, and alcoves. It's easy to get lost. So many shops to explore. Step inside and each is its own world with distinctive lighting and branding, along with smiling greeters for better buy-in. Why would anybody want to leave? But if you do... There are plenty of other shopping experiences available. Always something more. For many years, I was a mall. That described my approach to relationships. Malls are about maximizing customers, so I became a sort of shapeshifter with my various friends. I changed myself to match whatever group I was in. If I was with the gamers, I was all about high scores. If I was around the tech nerds, I geeked out on gadgets. I was the good kid with my Christian youth group, but the cool guy out drinking with my cross-country team. Well, as cool as I could be. As in, not very. Each of those friend groups were like a different shop in the mall I had made of myself. Everything was governed by the profit motive. More friends meant more popularity meant more happiness, right? Only I found I wasn't very happy. In fact, I was miserable. Being all things to all in a worldly way left me feeling like nothing at all. Life, I can tell you, gets complicated when you're a mall. So many identities to manage, so many faces to put forward. I dreaded running into a friend from one shop in my mall while I was with another from a different store. I began to see the beauty of simplicity. The Lord started showing me what it means to be a temple. Before I say more, you might wonder where this fits. Last chapter, we described a person as a being in relationship. Now, we're looking at patterns for relationship. I want to recommend to you the pattern of a temple. Deceptively simple, but highly useful. A very basic blueprint. Just to be clear, I'm talking about the temple in the Bible not something exotic from the Far East. It's the structure St. Paul is thinking of when he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been purchased at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is the temple God described to Moses on the mountain, the one first fashioned in the desert of Sinai as a mobile sanctuary. Later, 
the same design was applied more permanently to a stone structure by Solomon in Israel's capital, Jerusalem. It was a city on a hill, a mountain called Zion, a place of sacrifice, praise, and wholehearted worship. The temple was the very dwelling of God among his people, the place where his glory, in Hebrew, kabod, came to rest. The temple had a fairly basic blueprint, a room within a bigger room set in a courtyard within a bigger courtyard. Yes, there were other features, but that was the pattern. Don't be misled by the simplicity, though. This blueprint matters hugely. More than once, God said to Moses, According to all that I show you regarding the pattern of the temple and the pattern of its furnishings, so you are to make it. Again and again throughout the history of God's people, the blueprint reemerges. It's the only building the Bible describes in detail. In Exodus, Kings and Chronicles, in a vision of the prophet Ezekiel, and in the New Testament, Paul's letters, and the book of Hebrews. Why is this structure so important? This is the key. It is a copy of the heavenly sanctuary. When Paul says we are temples, and he says it a lot, that's no abstraction. He means it literally. Just like that earthly sanctuary, so too in you the holy God dwells. You are now God's home in the world, the place where he makes his seat. If you're zoning out, you're missing this. It's pretty amazing. To be a temple is first and foremost about being set apart for God. Baptism makes us into temples because, as we know, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. <laughs> on that day, one popular preacher said, God put a sign on your forehead under new management. Here's the most important part, though. We are temples because we are in Christ. Jesus himself is the new and everlasting temple. When the Jewish leaders of his day asked for some kind of sign to prove that he was God, we read, Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. How to be a temple All this talk about temples gets more interesting when we apply it to our relationships. To be a people is to be one in Christ. We heard this before, but we're still unpacking it. Since Jesus is the new temple, we can base our own approach to relationships on the patterns he laid out. Three things are especially important. Integrity, intimacy, and boundaries. Integrity. The pattern of the temple places God at the center. One could not go deeper into the temple without getting closer to God. We see this in Jesus' relationships as well. As people drew close to him, he drew them to the Father. Publicly, he made no secret of the truth. Quote, My father is at work until now, so I am at work. Unquote. He says when confronted about his ministry. Privately, to his disciples, he explained in greater depth. Quote, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Unquote. Can this be said of us? As people get closer to us, do they come to know God? While it's often the case that we can't talk about our faith up front, is there consistently a place where we let the truth be known? Are there people close to us 
who don't know that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Integrity is about consistency. We want to be the same person on the outside that we are on the inside. The more authentic we become, the more intimate our relationships can become. Intimacy Deep relationships are characterized by intimacy. Mutual trust yields a genuine closeness of persons. This is not the world's idea of intimacy, which focuses on the sensual and the physical. Rather, it's the lived experience of knowing and being known. Into me see, as one popular Catholic author describes it. How does this apply to being a temple? Again, Jesus is our model. We see in the Gospels that Jesus was open to all, but he didn't treat everybody the same. Some he spent a lot of time with, like the disciples. Some he saw less frequently, but seems to have been very close with, like Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus. A few he brought with him on special occasions, like Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, or in the Garden of Gethsemane. What do we make of this? Is Jesus playing favorites? The issue is not favoritism, but faithfulness. God welcomes those who approach him in truth and trust. Quote, Who may go up the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place, the clean of hand and pure of heart? Unquote. The holy place is the temple. The floor plan described above, the room inside a bigger room, the courtyard inside a bigger courtyard, can help us understand God's plan for relationships. The temple was open to all, but there were levels of access. Some parts were open only to Jews, others only to Levites, and others exclusively to priests. It doesn't mean that God is exclusive or exclusionary. It means that he looks for those who respect the boundaries he sets down, who approach him with reverence. This is not a one-sided arrangement. The Lord approaches us in the same way. In other words, he respects our freedom. We learn something valuable here. Every relationship is reciprocal, a free choice by two or more persons to share life together. The key is respect for the person. God is open to us, yes, but he also watches to see how open we are to him. To those who want more, he gives more of himself. He gives greater access. Boundaries how does this apply in our own relationships? By the way we approach boundaries, our own and those of our sisters and brothers. Like Christ, we are available to all, but we experience different levels of closeness with those around us. Some of this has to do with personality, for sure, but it's also about freedom. When we respect boundaries, we gain access to deeper relationship. We can't demand it, but we can welcome it when others are open and willing. This highlights the importance of honor in our relationships. When we honor each other as persons who are temples of the Holy Spirit, we are more reverent. Not in a phony or stiff way, but humbly and naturally. We make it a point to show kindness, thoughtfulness, warmth, and honesty. Sounds simple, but it isn't easy. It takes a daily decision to treat our brothers and sisters this way. So what does this look like in our way of life? How does honor characterize our culture in SPO? It begins with God and then opens outward. Truthfulness and trust. 
God welcomes everybody who approaches him in purity of heart. Another way to say this is truthfulness. He receives those who are totally honest with themselves and with him. How do we become more truthful with God? Two ways we can practice every day. First, by committing ourselves to daily prayer. As living temples, we allow the Lord who dwells within to illuminate our lives. He loves us deeply. He shows us good things about ourselves, as well as places we need to improve. Since He already knows our sins, we don't need to hide or be bound up in shame. We turn to Him with confidence and confess our faults. We also make it a point to bring our sins more consistently to confession. The Church recommends at least once a month. St. John Paul II went once a week. Second, we can practice something called the examine of consciousness. It's a simple review of our day that looks for the ways God has been at work. Set aside a few minutes after lunch, before dinner, or at bedtime. Prayerfully consider your thoughts, desires, words, actions over the last period of time. Use this format. I ask myself the following questions. What am I thankful for? How has God's grace been present to me? How have I responded to grace? How have I failed to respond? Conclude with repentance and resolution to change. Living in the Light When we open our lives to God, it's easier to open up with others. We call this living in the light. Truthfulness builds trust. What kind of truthfulness are we talking about? There's no easy way to say this, so I'll be direct. Living in the light begins with a kind of radical honesty with ourselves. It isn't easy to do. Sin has deep roots in us. We're often selfish, proud, anxious, resentful, lustful, lazy, dishonest, and irresponsible. Are we willing to admit this? The good news is we're not alone. All of us are sinners and all are being renewed daily in Christ. Since we see faults in others more clearly than in ourselves, we need to focus first on our own. That's the priority when we live in the light. It's what Jesus meant when he taught about the plank and the speck. In SPO, there are ways we share our lives in committed relationships, in formation, in small groups, in households, and meetings for one-to-one -one pastoral care. We activate our freedom to open ourselves to others. No one can require this of us, but neither will we be known unless we let others in. Our times together create space for living in the light. How can we make better use of these windows of opportunity? Share groups. If we want deeper conversion in our lives, our small groups can be a great blessing. SPO alumni often say this is what they miss the most about their time as students. They tell us how rare it is for someone in their lives to say, how are you doing? And really care about their answers. Small groups are easy to take for granted, but they're a huge help for our growth in Christian maturity. What's the best way to improve your small group experience? One word can make the difference. Prepare. Don't just roll into the meeting, but take time beforehand to pray. Here's a list. Ask yourself, what areas of my life should I bring into the light? Asking my brothers or sisters to help me be accountable. What areas of weakness and struggle in my life is God asking me to open up about? Where do I experience a lot of shame? In particular, am I falling into sins against sexual purity? 
Am I keeping my commitments and resolutions regarding my spiritual disciplines, prayer, regular confession? Am I fulfilling my commitments in household and formation community? Are there positive areas of growth I feel the Lord is convicting me to focus more attention and effort on? Is there some virtue or quality of character He's giving me the grace to work on? The purpose of sharing our weakness is not to add to our shame, but just the opposite. Shame is often a tool of the enemy. When we get our failures out in the open, we feel God's love through the support and care of the group. It empowers and motivates us to keep up the fight. It also encourages the other members of the group. When others do share their sins, we want to treat them as we would like to be treated. Not laying down a guilt trip or asking unnecessary, nosy questions. The goal is to listen and ask in order to understand. Then, we offer encouragement in whatever ways the Lord leads us to speak. Often we can do the greatest good by praying for our sisters and brothers in their struggles. Later, yes, but it's often best to pray right then and there, in that graced moment of courage and vulnerability. Building Trust What happens when we live in the light? Trust grows. We become more open and transparent with our sisters or brothers. We let ourselves be known as we really are. How do we enable greater trust? Here are two important ways, commitment and confidentiality. Commitment. Make small group a priority every week. Be present. Be ready and read ahead. Consider ways to encourage greater investment from the members. In other words, even when you're not the leader of the group, you can be a leader in the group. Confidentiality. Whatever you hear in your group, keep it private. Whether it's a great struggle or a great victory, personal information should not be shared elsewhere. Even when you disagree or disapprove of a sister or brother's actions or attitudes, be careful to protect their privacy. If you've ever been shamed on social media for a comment, a post, or a screenshot of a text you sent someone, you know how painful it can be when personal info suddenly becomes public. If something that's shared is disturbing to you, please speak privately with your group leader about it. Jesus came into the world to bring light, pure, powerful, eternal. When we welcome the light, we welcome Christ. As persons and as a people, we become radiant, a city set on a hill, as Jesus once said. We are temples in the great temple of his body, the church. It's not always easy to see. The daily work of discipleship can hide the great structure taking shape all around us. St. Paul describes what is still very much a work in progress. Quote, You are fellow citizens of the Holy Ones and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the capstone. Through him the whole structure is held together and grows into a temple sacred in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. End quote. In SPO, we have been called to be a people within the people of God, a household within the household of God. No expression of church life exhausts all the possibilities of being a people, but every expression can highlight important aspects. We want to share our way of life with you in more detail. What does it mean to be members of the household of God? We hope 
It's a place where you'll feel at home.